You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. My guest today is Dr. Thomas Dayspring, director of the North Jersey Institute of Menopausal Lipidology and assistant clinical professor of medicine at the New Jersey Medical School. And we're going to talk about the inner heart study and try and understand it and interpret it. Dr. Dayspring, welcome back to Lipid Luminations. Well, thank you uh, for inviting me back. Can we start by really defining exactly what is apolipoprotein B and apolipoprotein A1? Surely. They are both structural proteins that are found on the surface of uh, some of our lipoproteins. Lipoproteins are basically little vehicles that traffic lipids in our plasma. Because lipids are hydrophobic and plasma is a water-based solution, the lipids have to be wrapped by a protein so they're soluble in uh, water. And the proteins that wrap the lipids, giving the particles structure, stability, and solubility, are called apolipoproteins. Now, there are many, many apoproteins that exist. We're interested in today's discussion on apolipoprotein B and apolipoprotein A1. ApoB is the main structural surface protein on what used to be called the beta lipoproteins. That is a collective group of all chylomicrons, very low-density lipoproteins, intermediate-density lipoproteins, and low-density lipoproteins. So pretty much anything that's atherogenic has an ApoB associated with it. Correct. They are the particles that have the potential to enter the artery wall and deposit cholesterol. So ApoB is therefore going to be a marker of atherogenic particle concentration. They are the bad place. If you have too many of them. Right. Okay. And then A1. ApoA1 is the main structural protein of our HDL particles. ApoA1 is synthesized mostly in the liver, but a little bit in the intestine. The difference between ApoB and ApoA1 is all of the beta lipoproteins have one ApoB per particle. The HDL particles can have two, three, or four molecules of ApoA1 per particle. So in general, ApoA1 does correlate with HDL particle concentration, but the relationship is not as exactly as linear as it is with ApoB. And how are they related to the standard lipid values that we're comfortable with, LDL, HDL? What's the relationship, if any, between them? As you just mentioned, the atherogenic lipoproteins are the chylos, VLDLs, IDLs, and LDLs. Because of its longer half-life, LDLs are the predominant ApoB species. So in general, high ApoB correlates with high LDL cholesterol, high non-HDL cholesterol. But because of particle sizes and particle composition, sometimes there is a disconnect, whereas people can have a pretty decent-looking LDL cholesterol, but because the particles are small or packing triglycerides instead of cholesterol, their ApoB level, their LDL particle level, could be considerably high. So in general, they parallel each other, but in our little insulin-resistant, triglyceride-rich world, there is disconnect in many people. Let's get into the study that we're going to talk about, the InterHeart study. And from my understanding, this was a study that took place over 52 countries and had about 27,000 patients in it. Can you tell us a little more? You're exactly right. It's quite a formidable study to uh, have that many, uh, basically every continent but Antarctica enrolled patients in this. 
And these were um, almost 26,000 uh, patients, 12,400 cases, and uh, 14,000 age match controls. These were all uh, the cases where people admitted to the hospital suspicious as having an MI. If the MI was documented, then they were in the study, and then they matched them with controls. And they looked at many markers of risk. And, of course, the purpose was to determine what of our both historical lifestyle and laboratory measurements correlate the best with myocardial infarction. Now, did the investigators even bother to measure blood cholesterol levels, or did they really just do apolipoproteins? No, they did everything because what we really would like to know is what is the best marker. Mm -hmm. And you would only know that if you looked at several markers. So what did they find? They actually corroborated what has been seen in many other uh, studies, but this is quite a large study, so it's very important information, and it's global. It's not just a group of a particular ethnic collection of uh, folks. And indeed, they found with respect to attributing risk to myocardial infarction, the apolipoprotein B, apolipoprotein A1 ratio, where you simply divide ApoB concentrations by ApoA1, was by far the most predictive thing that a clinician can look at in uh, recognizing who is likely to have a myocardial infarction. It outperformed ApoB by itself, ApoA1 by itself. The ratios that most physicians look at, LDL cholesterol to HDL cholesterol or the total cholesterol to HDL cholesterol ratio, it outperformed HDL cholesterol or LDL cholesterol measurements by themselves. And their conclusion was ApoB, ApoA1 should become part of our routine evaluation of people. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm talking with Dr. Thomas Dayspring, who is the director of the North Jersey Institute of Menopausal Lipidology. We're discussing the findings from the InterHeart study and a very powerful tool that came out of that, which is the ApoB-A1 ratio. Dr. Dayspring is anybody using this, perhaps besides you, clinically to really get a better look at who's at risk? These tests are much more commonly done in Europe and Canada, where they've been actually part of the guidelines for some time. Mm -hmm. In the United States, it's fairly limited to lipidologists, I would say, right now. I mean, they're, they're not people expensive. People are very aggressive in diagnosing and trying to prevent coronary disease. But most interesting, in April of this year, a consensus uh, statement was issued by the uh, American College of Cardiology and the American Diabetes Association, mm -hmm. where they believed that in moderate, high, or very high-risk people, before a therapeutic decision is made, we really have to base it on apolipoprotein B measurements. Now, they ignored the ratio. They went right to the number of atherogenic particles, ApoB. So right now, not a lot of uh, clinicians are doing it. There are still reimbursement uh, issues in the United States, but I believe this is absolutely the trend where we're going in uh, particle measurements of one type or another is the future. The ApoB assay is very inexpensive. I think it's only about $15. I don't know about the A1. It is very affordable. It's well standardized now, so there's very little excuses not to do it, except, you know, it does take arm twisting for sure. third-party payers to agree to reimburse any new test. But I believe now that the AACC and ADA have endorsed it, it's only a matter of time before it will become routine. It's actually cheaper than doing a lipid profile by itself. 
if you have someone with disease and you're trying to get their LDL down below 100, could you talk a little bit about what happens when you use the Friedwald formula, that actually ApoB is a better measure once you get LDLs below 100? We know that cholesterol gets deposited in the artery wall because an ApoB particle brings it in there. The main factor that pushes an ApoB particle into the artery wall is particle number. It's not particle size. It's not how much cholesterol is inside the particle. It's particle number. And here you're basically counting particles by doing ApoB or LDL particle measurements. If we look at how much cholesterol is inside our LDLs, the most frequent ApoB particle, it might correlate in some people, but in the people you're just talking about where the LDLC might be under 100, mm-hmm. if those patients have very small LDLs, or even if they have big LDLs, but they're carrying triglycerides instead of cholesterol, we might be fooled into seeing a very unremarkable LDL cholesterol level, but the ApoB level might still be high. And if we weren't measuring ApoB, we might actually look at these people and say, hey, your LDL cholesterol is a goal. I'm not worried about you. But had we checked the particle number, specifically ApoB, we would know, wow, there is still residual risk here, even though your LDL cholesterol is normal. Uh, Tim Russert is the best example. He had an LDL cholesterol on therapy of uh, 68 milligrams per deciliter. That's at goal for a very high-risk patient. But both his non-HDL cholesterol, and we would have to presume an ApoB level would have been quite high in him. Now, are you an NMR guy? I am, and that comes down to a, a much higher level discussion of what's the best way to quantitate particles nuclear magnetic resonance spectroscopy, or apolipoprotein B. There, there are several studies where they agree completely together, but there are a handful where LDL-P has outperformed ApoB, especially if the LDL particles are very small. And we believe the reason for that is on a very small LDL, the ApoB assumes a very different conformation and on a somewhat larger LDL. ApoB is an antibody test. And if you change the shape of the protein, which happens on a small particle, the epitopes, the parts of the protein that the antibody recognizes, uh, may be missed, and you can get a false negative ApoB. That's a very high-level discussion, I think, for most of your listeners. Uh, if they step up to the plate and do ApoB or LDL particle testing in their patients with cardiometabolic risk who are in a moderate, high, or very high-risk category, they'll be where they have to be. Right, so either one is of benefit. Yes, the recent guidelines put ApoB up front because there is more data on it than there is LDL particle concentration, but to boil it down, they said they can be used interchangeably. Let's talk a little bit about lipid-lowering drugs and how they affect Let's start with statins. Obviously, we know that lowers ApoB. If you have someone maxed out on the highest dose of a statin and you still need to get their ApoB lower, what's a good second drug to add on? The good news is virtually every lipid-modulating drug we have has FDA approval to lower ApoB. You are so right in that statins, by significantly upregulating LDL receptors, remove a lot of ApoB particles. But we have tons of studies showing that there's still plenty of people on even big doses of statins that have too many particles. So what should you add? Theoretically, you could add anything you wanted to. You would all get enhancement of ApoB reduction. The recent guidelines from ACCADA said if the patient has cardiometabolic risk, their preference was to add niacin as the first-line drug because of published data, fibrate being a second-line drug, 
and perhaps omega-3s or zetamide uh, being somewhere down the list. I will tell you sequestrants will give you more LDL receptors on top of a statin and also help lower ApoB. I think if triglycerides and HDL cholesterol are out of whack, most of us would look at a uh, fibrator niacin to add to the statin. Well, you mentioned niacin. Won't you get a nice bonus of also perhaps increasing your ApoA levels by adding niacin? Well, you're very astute. And I think both fibrates and niacin are two most efficacious drugs at raising ApoA1 or HDL particle concentration. I think many of us would trend towards a fibrate and a diabetic because of potential other benefits, which would be off-label, such as microvascular benefits. We could debate all day long. Sure. I think either would be great for to add to a statin in such a patient for that very reason. Well, Dr. Thomas Dayspring, thank you so much for coming on Lipid Luminations and helping us understand the Inner Heart Study. Always a pleasure chatting with you, Larry. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals.